0: Let your glory fill this house. Let your praises fill our mouths. Let its vessel offer unto you a sacrifice of praise. For you alone are holy. You alone are worthy. You deserve the glory. Jesus, you alone, kindly bless your word tonight. And may we be strengthened and encouraged by what we hear tonight. We pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Beloved, the key scripture that I'd like to put before us tonight, we find in John sixteen. <clears throat> verse thirty three. Just the last portion of that verse. John sixteen thirty three. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It is the year 92 A.D. We are all gathered in the city square of Pergamos in Asia Minor. There are other onlookers too. In front of us, we see the altar of Zeus. Revelation 3 refers to this altar as the seat of Satan. Suspended above this altar is a big, hollow, brass bull. Under this bull is a raging fire. The bull is already piping hot. And someone out of the crowd shouts in the direction of the bull. Antipas, the world is against you. After a while, a very weak voice of a man already half-roasted, alive, comes back. Then Antipas is against the world. Then the scene falls silent again and the people disperse. Antipas, my faithful witness. The blood of Antipas was part of the seed of the church. The historian Tertullian said, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Who was Antipas? Antipas was the pastor of the budding Christian church in Pergamos. That was what he was appointed to be. What did Antipas do to deserve what happened to him? Brother Charles Antipas was a man of prayer and of spiritual warfare. And because of that, the powers of darkness in Pergamos was rendered impotent. And these demons and demonic forces went back to their handlers, the Zeus priests, and complained about their impotence. And they said, We are impotent because of the presence in this town of Antipas. He was delivered into their hands, they took him to the bull. And in full sight of the bull, he was given an opportunity to recant and to fall down in emperor worship. And naturally, he declined. He refused. And Antipas paid the ultimate price of a martyr of Christ. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. A little bit of history to refresh your memories. Who actually persecuted the church of the first century? The common Jews and the Pharisees never saw Christianity, the new sect, Mrs. Black. as a threat but the sect of the sadducees they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection or in life after death and they took huge offense to a gospel of life everlasting through the blood of someone like Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Read that in Acts 4 and Acts 5. So it's the sect of the Sadducees. Where did the Romans stand in this whole picture? Initially, the Romans couldn't care less. Until in the mid-40s A.D., the Jews in Rome rioted against the Christians in Rome. And this situation got out of hand to such an extent that Emperor Claudius banned both the Jews and the Christians from Rome. They kicked them out of Rome. And a few years later, In 49 AD, one night, Rome was gutted with fire. And the then Emperor Nero said it's the Christians. He summarily blamed the Christians and persecution of the church started in all earnestness and it lasted for more than a hundred years thereafter. So these were the people who actually did the persecution Do we read of more martyrs in the Bible? I'm just asking myself a few questions to make it a little bit more informative to you. Yes, we do. Too many to mention. I think of Elijah fleeing Jezebel into the desert. And he lamented that he was the only one left, so they must have massacred all the prophets. And God kindly reminded him there were 7,000 others like you get up and go. But the last martyr in the Old Testament dispensation was John the Baptist. Of whom Jesus himself testified he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. And his head was served on a platter to a drunken young lady in the court's of her king father. Not many years thereafter, the young Stephen was stoned outside Jerusalem. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of God. Saul of Tarsus observed this event, Brother Denny, And the blood of Stephen was the seed for the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus to become the Apostle Paul. The blood of Stephen was the seed for the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles of you and I, of which you and I tonight were apart. Apostle Paul himself, round about 66 AD in Rome, under Nero, decapitated. Around about the same time, the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down on his own request. He didn't find himself worthy enough to be crucified otherwise. Thomas was killed with a sword in India. Bartholomew somewhere in uh, Syria. All the other apostles of Jesus met with martyr deaths, bar one. The apostle John the Revelator. Tradition has it that he lived out his life but in solitary confinement. Most likely on the Isle of Patmos. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Let's just read one passage of Scripture. Hebrews 11.37 summarizes this. 7 and the first line of 38 says this, they were stoned. Let me tell you, the methods by which these people were killed knew no bounds. Nothing was left to the imagination. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then this is the most beautiful verse about this of whom the world was not worthy. The story of martyrdom in the New Testament ends. Page there, Revelation 6. And this is still futuristic. Verse 9. Three verses, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? on them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, future things still to happen, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled." Revelation 17. Also, verse 6 For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Obviously, Revelation speaks in the past tense as if it had already happened. But some of this is still outstanding. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So that is where the story in the New Testament ends as far as martyrdom is concerned. My next question to myself, and don't be concerned, I will watch the clock. Somebody can ring the bell if half an hour is over, okay? Is there any value in persecution, in martyrdom, in suffering? And I just say a categorical "yes." I don't think that there's a more forceful and powerful avenue for witnessing for Christ than being a martyr. If you read the narratives and the history of the martyrs, you will find that their lives impacted men, but mostly their dying moments were such that thousands upon thousands, upon thousands, made their decision for Christ the Lord. It's the most powerful form of witnessing for Christ. There is value in that. Then 2 Corinthians 4.17. You can page there if you want to. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says the following. It speaks to the sense of martyrdom. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't want to talk about that tonight. I think both these two subjects that I mentioned are good material for further Bible studies. But I come to the climax of my message. Brother Andrew, martyrdom, there is value in martyrdom because martyrdom brought your and my salvation. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. You know what? I recently learned that Jewish theology knew the principle that a righteous sufferer can buy his own salvation. Just his own. One man can die for himself for his redemption in Jewish tradition provided he was a righteous man before God, and secondly, provided he died a martyr's death. But then the Old Testament prophecies of the Bible introduced a different principle. It foresaw a different principle. It foresaw the situation and it foretold it. That an innocent man, an innocent martyr, can buy the redemption of everybody. One man can buy, can purchase the salvation, the redemption of many. An innocent man. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Listen to the wonderful. And this is, mind you, 750 years before Christ. The wonderful interplay between singular and plural. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. It is so wonderful. And you know, the same prophecy found two beautiful echoes in the New Testament that I'm going to hold up to you. I'm pretty certain there are more. But these two just stood out for me. Did you know that Cephas, the high priest, was also a prophet? Read with me. Cephas' prophecy, John 11, just after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John 11, and it's verse 49. I read a few verses. And one of them named Cephas being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you know the Jews were now in turmoil about what Jesus did. Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us. Here comes that principle. That one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, listen to this, but being high priest that year, he was also the mouthpiece of God for that particular period. He prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad the substitutionary death principle of Christendom. This man prophesied unwittingly. He prophesied with evil intent. Like Satan, he just wanted to get rid of Jesus so that the Romans don't annihilate them. But still, still, The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. And now Jesus himself, Jesus himself, just on the opposite page, John 12, 24. And I hope that this text will tonight gain a new and very special significance in your mind. I hope it falls in place for you. Jesus prophesies about himself, John 12, 24. And he echoes the same principle of one man that can die for the salvation of many. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus became the greatest martyr, innocent martyr of all times. And mind you, he's the only one that rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and proceeded to sit at the right hand of God the Father to intercede for you and me. But something we should never forget: working hand in hand with the same evil intent as Cephas, the Satan made in this instance the biggest mistake he ever made. Listen closely to me, and this I'm closing now. Satan thought. That if you killed Jesus, you destroy him completely. He thought destruction meant destruction. But in the case of Jesus Christ, the innocent martyr, it meant you planted him. There's a big difference between destroying something and planting something that dies and brings forth fruit. So if the devil could have it over, Brother Robin, I think he would think twice before putting the seed of heaven in the ground again. The blood of Jesus is the seed, capital letters, of the church. And the blood of Jesus not only is the seed of the church, it's also the cornerstone of our our faith. You're in my faith tonight. And praise God for that. I'm so excited when I talk about these things. And because of the mistake that Satan made, that he didn't realize that he was planting the heavenly seed to bear much fruit, Jesus could say in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose the Son of God appeared to destroy the works His works have been destroyed in the process. It boomeranged. The Australians would know what that meant. It boomeranged against Satan badly. And that is my message to you tonight. Now, I hope that John 16 verse 33 would mean more to you. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Are you with me? Modern day martyrdom? Yes. If time permitted me, I would have told you a a wonderful story. A hundred years ago, 1916, in Jerusalem, Under the Ottoman Turks, it's just before Jerusalem was freed by the Allied forces. The Ottoman Turks started slaughtering the Armenian Jews on a massive scale. A woman walked in the, there was a testimony later of an old woman who walked behind this mother with a little uh, toddler on the arm. And she was just waiting uh, patiently, a place in line. Till the officer says, are you recanting, yes or no? And she said, no, I can't. He says, well, then hand your baby to the one behind you. The guillotine is waiting for you. That is what happened 100 years ago in Jerusalem. 2017, I read a statistic. I don't know whether it's overstated or understated. I'm in two minds about it. In 2017, 90,000 people were martyred for their faith in Christ in the world. Just last year. A further 600,000 were badly persecuted, and they are on their way to become a statistic for martyrdom. I just want to say something in brackets before I land. I'm slightly concerned that we may fall in the trap, the mindset of escapism. You know why I say so? Because we preach, rightly so, pre-tribulation rapture, but we should not read into that that in our era, we, need, uh, we, need, we may not encounter such circumstances. The rest of the body of Christ, our other arm in some parts of the world, the other arm is experiencing it tonight while you and I are sitting here. But be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. I feel that I was sent here tonight by the Holy Spirit. I told uh, Brother Robin outside that I felt I was on a mission. I have one very special request. We are going to pray for all our wonderful requests and supplications that we always do. But I, I want to specifically and very specially ask all of us, without fail, For the first five minutes. Let's ask God. To give grace and power and mercy. To that part of the body tonight. That is suffering somewhere. Out of our sight. For their faith. Our common faith in Jesus Christ. And then secondly. Hand in hand with that. I want us to thank God for the privilege of living in a country under a regime of religious freedom. I don't think we appreciate all of that all the time. Enough. So that is my message tonight, a very special plea. May God bless his word. I was in two thoughts of whether to bring this, but I, I feel now relieved. I brought this message the way God wanted me to bring it. And may the word of God edify you and strengthen you and encourage you because he has overcome. Thank you. God bless.